Haley Shudo, and I've been an actor for, well, a really long time. Here's my number. Call me. <laughs> I've worked with some of the most famous people in Hollywood. Anything unusual occur? Define unusual. And taken on some roles I'd rather forget. Now my industry friends join me with their stories of faking it, making it, and taking it in Hollywood. And now, here's Nellie. Welcome to 50 Moments, Faking It, Making It, and Taking It in Hollywood as a Working Actor. Uh, as you know, it's this is my podcast that accompanies my book. And there are about 50 stories that I have of all my interesting, crazy stories over my life in Hollywood. And today we're going to talk about the sitcom, which is my favorite medium. I always loved working on sitcoms because it's like working in theater. You work on a script for five days, you film before a live audience, they have somebody warm the audience up, you have a five camera, five cameras working, and there's just so much interaction with actors starting with a table read, which is why I love them. The interesting thing is there aren't as many sitcoms around today. Uh, for some reason, because of streaming and single camera shows, you don't see as many. And a lot of sitcom writers have turned to working on children's shows, which I find fascinating. That's why those children's shows are so funny these days, because they've got a writer's room, et cetera. And speaking of the sitcom, today my guest is Kathy Garver, who was the star of Family Affair, a show, a great sitcom when I was growing up that I watched. And she's done many other things than that, but I'm dying to talk to her about the show. So Kathy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. And I, I have to say, Family Affair was one of my favorite shows. And I know it's only one blip in your life. You had already been working for 20 years before Family Affair. How's that possible? You look 12. Well, no, I'm actually 39. Okay. Um, I, I'm not quite sure where we're having our 55th anniversary of Family Affair this year. Wow. But I guess it's the magic of Hollywood. That big Hollywood sign behind you says it all. We, we create lovely things like being able to be 39 if we want to say so. I know. You know what I always say, Kathy? When people ask me my age, I say, how much do you weigh? <laughs> I love that. That is great. Because nobody I'm wants to answer that question. That. Can, I, can I take that? I'll give you 10%. You can totally take it. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so, Honestly, you had been working long before that. I One of the facts I love about you is you were in the Ten Commandments. Correct. Yes, not the silent version. Um, I'm not that old. But <laughs> yes, the one with Charlton Heston, that was one of my first films. And it was a great entree into the entertainment world, I must say. My first movie that I did was The Night of the Hunter, which was also a, and became a classic. But it was really more on the dark side than the light side of Ten Commandments. I don't know if you ever saw that. It was with um, Robert Mitchum, Shelley Winters, Lillian Gish, Peter Graves, just a plethora of fabulous actors. And it was the first and last uh, movie that Charles Lawton ever directed. And it was the last because it got such awful reviews. And the reason was because it was way above its time. It is now considered one of the top horror films that has ever been uh, made. It was about a murdering preacher. <laughs> okay, see, I love that. And I love that you love the history of film because I really do too. I love acting. I love the industry. I love everything about it. And I have a funny story to tell you. Um, I worked with Max von Sydow in, um, in Shutter Island. And the first thing I said to him, he almost fell out of his chair is I said, oh my God, I loved you in The Virgin Spring. <laughs> it, was, it was like his first movie. And Scorsese was like, why are you 
mentioning that instead of like Hannah and her sisters or something like old, but you know, not as old, but I love the history of film. I loved watching that movie and I have not seen that one. I, I promise you I will watch it this weekend. Oh yeah. It's, it's uh, in black and white, like a German impressionism kind of a feel to it. And that's one of the reasons that people just didn't understand it at the beginning. Yeah. I was very scary. <laughs> Well, I could see that. And I think the Ten Commandments, by the way, to me is like The Wizard of Oz. It's the kind of movie that people go back and watch. And I understand you were an extra initially, and then they featured you and upgraded your role. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. that uh, The movie comes back every Easter, of course, and now yes. you can get it on DVD. But I was just hired to be an extra. And it really was like one of my very first jobs. And it was really wonderful. And I was to ride in this carriage, this wooden uh, wagon uh, through the streets on the way out. We were getting out of Dodge, so to speak, uh, in the Exodus. And so I'm up on my wagon and all of a sudden I hear this big voice scream out, don't let that little girl's face get in the camera. And I said, what? Is he talking about me? <laughs> what did I do? Is that God? We were <laughs> doing the Ten Commandments. It uh, turned out it wasn't God but a cinematic deity, and he was way up on a crane to get this big shot. So we went forth with the scene. Afterwards, the assistant director got me out of my wagon. I talked to Cecil B. DeMille, and from then on, he actually wrote scenes uh, into the movie with me and Charlton Heston, Moses, which was uh, very nice. Well, and honestly, who can say I worked with Cecil B. DeMille? I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it really <laughs> Especially is. Especially now since he's been gone for a while. <laughs> yes, but still, yeah. like, honestly, you know, anybody who studies film knows, of course, Scorsese, Cecil B. DeMille. You know, you think of like the greats. He he really is the one of the greatest filmmakers ever. What a big privilege for you, your first acting role, really. Yes, and you know, here is a great big epic, and I'm a very little girl. And when you're a child, you kind of go with the, the senses, what things smell like and what you heard and, and what you see. But it really was, and, and doing epics, when, that's one of the reasons why choosing me um, was not totally out of his modus operandi because he knew that this was such a big, grandiose movie that in order to make it human, mm -hmm. that he would focus on a particular uh, person or met my friend Mimi Gibson, who is still alive and worked with Cecil B. DeMille, was with her blind grandfather mm -hmm. in the scene, watching and explaining to him what was going on in the Exodus. I was trying to find my doll. And uh, when Moses picks me off the paper mache mountain at Paramount, he says, are you, are you afraid? And I said, no, but Rebecca is. So then he lifts me off and we go and we get well, We have to go back to that seat. for a minute. A paper mache mountain? Yes, they build that on the Paramount lot. And then they had great big catwalks that were full of vats of water. So when um, Cecil B. DeMille calls action, all oh, this water comes down and we're drenched and I climb up into the arms then of Nina Foch and, you know, we go on. Yeah, they, they built a lot of things there. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, just switching gears for a moment, I have to talk about Family Affair because I grew up on Park Avenue on the Upper East Side uh -huh. and, and I grew up around the corner from where your supposed home was on Fifth Avenue, right? It was Fifth Avenue because you had the, yes. park, the park view, yes. et cetera. And so I had a British nanny. So I remember watching the show and I always thought they've got Mr. French and they're kind of like my lifetime's 10. I, I want to watch the show. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and you could relate. Well, it's interesting. I have um, my newest book, my fifth book 
that's out. Mm -hmm. And that's also to help celebrate the anniversary of Family Affair. And it's called um, Family Affair Scrapbook. And in the scrapbook, there is a picture. One of my really good friends, Barry Barsamian, just really about three months ago, found out where our penthouse building, apartment building was supposed to be. And it was like 460 Fifth Avenue. And I had never really known where it was until, and, and even around Fifth Avenue, just talking to you, if you had asked me that, you know, four months ago, I said, oh, yeah, I, I, I guess so. But now I have concrete proof. He took pictures, wonderful pictures that are included in the book. Well, and a funny story is that was like right around the corner from Jackie O's house. So uh-huh. I mean, I, I just love that my mother would be like, there's Jackie O. Like, <laughs> just the whole history of the Upper East Side. Um, yeah, well, we were in good company, that's for sure. For sure. And I have to ask you, what lot did you film on? We originated on uh, at Desilu. Mm-hmm. And um, that then was sold to Sony. Mm-hmm. So there we were at Desilu Studios. And um, so... We had to find a different place to go. So we went to CBS Radford. Okay. And that used to be the old Republic Studios in Studio City. And it was a good change. Uh, we had been, re- we had been renting space. The producers had been renting space. But uh, when we moved over to CBS, then there was um, Big Valley was shooting right next door to us. Of course, when we were in Desi Willow, they had Star Trek that originated the same time we did. I would go around the corner and watch them film in one take, Wow! you know, like five pages. And we never did that. <laughs> we did a master shot, you know, two shot of close-ups and, and we were on to the next shot. Okay. So speaking of that, was it actually a five camera sitcom or just one camera? How did it work? We were on film. Okay. And so it was one camera for four years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is why we would do you know, the close-ups and we keep moving. And then the last year we had um, three cameras finally. Okay. But um, for four years, we, we really shot more like a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially because it was film. And I certainly prefer, prefer film, especially now I'm a little older. I like it to be a little more <laughs> warm and fuzzy instead yes. of so glaring and having <laughs> that high def. I wouldn't even do high def. Ah! That, that is just so awful. I really, and I don't particularly like to watch it. I think it gives a real hard edge to whatever is going on. And I don't really want to uh, be transported into a different realm with all these, oh, I have here and here and here. <laughs> you know, I said, no, we're like in a little more fantasy. I know this isn't real. I know you shot it someplace. Well, agreed. It's kind of like when somebody takes a picture of you and they do it too low and it's up at your chin and you're like, stop it. Okay. Take the picture again. <laughs> yes. If you're going to do it, take it at my feet or take it way up here. Exactly. Don't do it like that. Not right there. <laughs> I mean, if you're 12, you feel that way. Um, yeah. So you've been acting for, you've continued. I mean, you have projects coming out. You've been working the entire time. Did you ever stop? Tell us about your career all along the way. Well, I started after the Ten Commandments. Uh, then I was uh, guesting on a lot of the television shows of the day. I was also doing radio, and radio was just making its transition over into um, the TV. So there was I Love Lucy, which started out as My Favorite Husband on radio, and then was I Love Lucy on television. And there was Paladin that started out its radio and then on television. So I was doing uh, guest stars on the shows in the 50s, which were a lot of Westerns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a story about that, but it's too long. But I did just do uh, 
seven spots as a spokesperson for uh, an amusement theme park in Idaho, Silverwood. And I was Silverwanda and I rode a horse. <laughs> now, I, yes, I did Big Valley and I did Death Valley days, but I hadn't ridden a horse in about 10 years. So yes, well, I keep on going like a little energizing bunny. So I did all those things. I, I uh, really have never stopped working. And in my other book, which is which came out this year. It was a very popular book when I first wrote it in 2015 in hardback. Mm-hmm. This year, they just came out again with it in um, in paperback again to celebrate our our anniversary. So my publisher thought that would be a good thing to do. I agreed with them. Well, I agreed, and, and you're beautiful then, and you're beautiful now. And I'll, when I look you. at that, it reminds me when you said surviving sissy. I imagine. I mean, we've all heard about sort of like the um, the curse of the show. Uh, do you mention that in the book? I would imagine you talk about that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, sure. And they say, oh, you know, it was a wonderful, wonderful family. And but so many tragedies seem to happen. Uh, unfortunately, we lost Anissa Jones, who everybody adored as, as Buffy when she was just 18 from a drug overdose. And then Brian Keith followed. With, no, it was Sebastian that did, who who died very young. Well, <laughs> as you get older, it looks younger. Uh, at 59, though, just having a stroke. And then uh, Brian Keith um, took his own life. He was he was dying, actually, of cancer. But his daughter, Daisy, had just committed suicide. And so he was very depressed. Mm-hmm. And so he took his own life. And then Johnny Whitaker was on drugs and heroin and, and alcohol and all that. And uh, so they say, oh, this is a curse. But, you know, maybe they people think that because it happened to so many people in the cast. We had a small cast. It was a small family. Um, But it was uh, it it happens to people. And because so many people knew these people, it became more of um, a a thing like, oh, they were targeted from the first. You know, I don't I don't know why they would call it a curse. Things happen in life. And you have to confront life and deal with it and, and, and grieve for it and, and then, you know, go on and preserve the memory. So many people watch the show because we only have three stations. It's not like 398 that we have now. Yeah. Um, so, and it was international hit in, in one of the first movies or first TV shows that they had in China. But it was in France and all the southern countries, South American countries, Mi Adorable, Sobrinos, and Libre Enclabille in German, and Chat Enclabille in, in France. So, Well, and I language. think the old sitcoms like your show really had a way of teaching you a lesson in each episode that was very valuable. And I think that's why it probably crossed over into China and other countries, et cetera. Don't you agree? Absolutely, because uh, one of our producers, Ed Hartman, who was a fabulous writer and, and wrote for Bob Hope and, and Abbott and Costello, lots of, of humorous things. He also wrote crime mysteries and everything. But I have a quote in um, actually the new book that's coming out that, that he made that the story is the fabric of filmmaking. If you don't have a story, then, you know, you just have a bunch of, uh, you know, sound effects and, and other effects. Bells and whistles and Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he says, well, it's, it's like doing a story. There's a palm tree and you, you set out to climb the palm tree. You climb up on the palm tree. You get up to the top. You look around. Hmm, how are we going to do this? I know the way to do that. And then you slide down. 
So it's introducing the problem, solving the problem in the denouement, which has been a classic literary style for for decades. Yes, it has. And it's so, first of all, you're so impressive. And I think it's great for people to, whether they're actors or in the business or any other business, to understand that you've worked all your life because you love what you're doing. And I think also for child actors out there or for people who are fascinated by child actors, you really had a strong family background, right? And parents who protected you, which really helped you, right? When we think about Britney Spears today or other people like that, you were really well protected and taken care of by your parents, correct? Absolutely. And I had a couple other things going for me in the fact that I had an education and I went to UCLA, graduated, went back for a master's degree, and my parents didn't take all my money. In my yeah, I think it was. What I wrote was Next Child Stars. Where are they now? Okay. And in this book, I really point out what happened to some of our, our favorite television stars, our child stars are in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And any child star going through, any child going through um, the growing up period from like, let's say 15 to 18, um, <laughs> I had a bad thought. I, I was just, I told God that. I, I was pregnant. I said, I, I would like to have, you know, a boy because if I have a girl, I have to send her away between 15 and 18, um, which isn't very nice of me. But the, the point is that it, that transitioning from a child to a teenager, a teenager to adult is very difficult in any any estimation. But when you put them in front of a camera and everything is done for them and you expect them to act like uh, a professional adult and they're getting all these accolades and people doing their hair and they're fixing their, their wardrobe and they're going over lines with them. Um, and then that's taken away. Then their yeah. show is canceled. Then yeah. what are they going to do? And that is the, the worst, most difficult transition for them to make. They're not in the spotlight. Their parents have maybe acted as their manager. They ha- they're not 18 yet. Where Now, hopefully, I just saw him, one of my really super good friends, Paul Peterson, who started an organization called the Minor Consideration, helped pass the bill that anytime a child acts, you have to put aside a certain amount of money for them. And uh, when they are 18, then they they get the money. But A, it's a very small percentage. Mm -hmm. And B, they're still 18. My son worked. And when he was 18, he didn't do a lot. But as soon as he was 18, I said, look, I have a surprise. Here's, Here's all the money that you earned. And so it was gone two weeks later. So, <laughs> like any child, like I know, I know what you're saying. I have a 17 yeah, year old, so yeah. You know, and it's called show business for a reason. And unfortunately, drama classes or this and that don't ever, in, in my estimation, well, no, they just don't address the business side of it. Now it's a little bit. You can Google what's a what's a business side of show business and and how to how to adjust your lifestyle to. Lots of money one month, no money for two months. Some money more, yes. you know, four months, no money the next month in, in getting jobs. So, Well, and you've done such a great job. First of all, thank you for being on the show. You've done such a great job of navigating all of that. Like you said, you do radio, you do commercials, you've done film, you've done TV. I think that's the secret uh, is ad- adaptation. I think it's a secret to surviving in the business, in any business, truthfully. And I just want to thank you for being on the show. And I have one last question for you. How much do you weigh? <laughs> <laughs> How old are you? 
<laughs> exactly. That's my response. I was so tired of all my friends asking me. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> so literally, you've been it. a delight. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. And I think I'm going to have to ha- buy a, a book and have you sign it. Well, I'll send you one. Send me your address and I'll, I'll sign it for you. I will for sure. Thank you so okay, much, Kathy. Thank you. Okay. Bye. So that's been another episode of 50 Moments, faking it, making it, and taking it in Hollywood. Kathy Garber was a great interviewee and can't wait to see you guys next time. For information on my book, check out nelliesblog.com and I'm on all social media platforms. Just search for Nellie Shudo.